series that we are in, uh, it, it's going through the book of John. And um, if you guys don't know, it's, it's a, just a powerful book. It's so much different in the language compared to all the other three Gospels. Um, and so there's, there's a richness that's there. So, um, morning. Uh, so, my wife and I, um, my wife and I, we celebrated our nine-year anniversary uh, this past Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we, we didn't get to really do much because we're still stuck at home with the kids. Uh, but one of our traditions is uh, we, we pick up a carrot cake. And we do that to celebrate because that's what, that's what our wedding cake was. And we heard that Rutabagors had has delicious carrot cake since I went to get one. And it was yummy. <laughs> so shameless plug for Rutabagors. Um, if you're looking for great carrot cakes uh, or cookies, um, hit that spot up. Um, but you know, as I reflected, uh, my wife and I give each other cards too. And, and for me, that, that's a space where I really just kind of sit down and reflect. I write like paragraphs to her, and she just creates these uh, funny puns back to me. Um, and, and that's our exchange of cards. But that was space for me to reflect. And in that reflection of these nine years of marriage, um, I was filled with deep gratitude, ton of joy. See, my wife, we have three kids, um, a, a set of twins. And so our life is super full in that sense. Uh, we both work very fulfilling jobs. Um, we're surrounded by great relationships, both you know, in where we live and family and community. Um, and we get to be part of an amazing church family, which is you guys here. And so in so many ways, there's an abundance that we're experiencing. There's a fullness, there's a joy, there's a deep gratitude. And for us in that space, we're recognizing that it's an abundance of God's love, of his grace and his presence with us. And so, um, and so we're getting deep gratitude, right? Because we're receiving all this as, as gifts from God. And today in our, in our uh, passage in chapter 10, um, there's a famous line, John 10, 10, where it says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So as I was preparing for this message, I thought, man, how fun would it be to create a message uh, like 10 steps to the abundant life, right? Like we could have a ton of fun just talking through that. Um, but I did a quick search on Google. And there are dozens of articles already out on how to have 10 steps to get to the abundant life. Um, so we're not going to do that today. Instead, um, our series theme, again, is uh, if you want to choose, it could either be the untamed Jesus, which makes him sound like a lion, um, a wild lion, uh, or uh, Jesus untamed. And the purpose of this theme really is we want to allow Jesus to speak for himself without uh, a lot of interpreting um, or interpretation or a lot of like um, filtering out what he's saying. And our passage today does not disappoint. There's some weighty, weighty content and some real life issues that are relevant to our faith today. So before we jump in, um, I, I need to talk about the context of our passage. And, and just as a, a, as a healthy way of studying God's word, understanding the context is super important. But for our passage today, um, there's a tendency to hyper-spiritualize parts of this, this passage. And, it, and it, it largely is based in John 10.10, 10, where it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, when you read into this and, and hyper-spiritualize it, the message that you come out with is that uh, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd and Satan is the one who came to kill, 
steal, and destroy. While there certainly is spiritual warfare that's happening all around us every single day, we recognize that, I don't think that this is what Jesus is talking about in our passage today. And so what is Jesus addressing in, in John 10 today? It's the failure of Jewish leaders and spiritual shepherds for God's people and how he is the one uh, true shepherd. All right. He's got it. <laughs> the failure of Jewish leaders and spiritual shepherds for God's people and how he is the one true shepherd. And so what are we looking at? We're looking at failed human leadership over God's people and Jesus as the good shepherd. And so if you, if you read it in that context, it puts it in a very different light. And what we're going to explore today um, can get heavy, right? It's going to get a little bit real. And so why am I setting up our time in this way? See, Jesus didn't let the religious leaders off the hook, right? And as we'll see in our passage, he, he kind of came at them. Like, he was pretty straight with them. And there have been, and the other piece too is that over these past few years, it has seemed like headline after headline after headline um, are, are expressing and revealing the sins and failures of a bunch of big-name Christian leaders. Their sins have been exposed. And so for us, wouldn't it be wise to just have a healthy conversation about moral failures, about failures of Christian leaders in the church? And the reason why is uh, what's happening in leadership is destroying the soul and witness of the church, especially here in America. And the other piece, too, to why I'm setting it up in this way Jesus talks about the fullness of life. That's his promise to us. But his promise to us is one that it finds where we as the people of God are in a healthy, maturing relationship with Jesus as the Good Shepherd, as well as with the human leaders that God has set up for us here on earth. It's the both and, not one or the other. But what holds people back, right? What holds us from stepping back in the church community? It's the failure of the church. It's the failure of human shepherds. And so even for us in this community right now, and those of you guys online, how many of us have been wounded by the church? How many of us are walking with open wounds still from what's happened to us? How many of us know of personal stories of failed leadership in the church? See, our backdrop for today's passage, um, and, and kind of to set it up, it's in chapter 9. And in chapter 9 is a story about Jesus healing a man that was born blind. This miraculous healing um, actually ticked off the Pharisees because Jesus did it on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees take this man, they bring him before him in the court, and they start to interrogate him. And it's in this interrogation of him as well as his parents that the cruelty of the religious elite, the religious leaders, becomes fully on display. See, the Pharisees went, the Pharisees went as far as throwing this man out of the synagogue. Not literally, but they threw him out of the synagogue, which back in that day was probably the harshest church discipline you could do on someone. So in Jesus' words in, in chapters 10, uh, in, in 10, 1, really is a continuation of his interaction with the Pharisees, uh, starting from 941. And so for us, as we look at chapter 10, 
it actually goes hand in hand with chapter 9. And so the stories connect together. So here, we're, we are going to get into this passage. Um, I am going to have us start from actually chapter 9, verses, verse 39, and we're going to read through chapter 10, 21. So bear with us. There's a ton of slides because they had to spread it out. Um, but let's read God words, uh, God's word together. So in chapter 9, um, it reads, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay, my down, uh, lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the she this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? All right. Right off the bat, I don't know if you guys are like me. I was a bit confused. Jesus used a ton of illustrations that are just like, what? It, you know, so for me, it was, it, it's kind of like the experience of, of learning a new language, right? It all sounds super foreign. You might have learned the basics, like, say, ordering food or where's the bathroom or, like, basic greetings. But then you have to pick up, like, something like medical jargon or religious jargon, and it becomes an, an entirely brand new language that you're having to learn. See, that's what it feels like, at least for me, in our passage. And on a personal note, um, I don't know about you guys, uh, when I read this passage, I'm not personally drawn in my quiet times to, to go to this passage. Like, 
I don't necessarily connect with Jesus as a shepherd and, and myself as a sheep. Like, I don't make sheep sounds when I need to communicate, right? It just, it's, it feels distant. I can't connect with him in that way. And what's interesting is that commentaries say that the religious leaders would not have identified um, with the shepherd in sheep illustrations either. And the reasons why were because they saw shepherding as an unclean work or as a lower class lifestyle that was just beneath them. And so we're in this weird passage, right? We, we have this context where Jesus is emphatically addressing the Jewish leaders for their failures, but he's communicating it in a very indirect way. Like, why wouldn't Jesus just come out and say, you have failed? He doesn't do that. But what happens, though, the contrast seems so much more sharp when you see how clear Jesus is about his role and presence as the good shepherd. Yeah, I wonder what Jesus' intentions were in communicating this way. What might Jesus want his people to know about who he is as the good shepherd in the midst of failed human leaders? And this is how I want to unpack our, our passage for today. See, our passage has three parables that show a contrast between the failed religious leaders and Jesus himself. And the first one is this. The failed religious leaders are the gatekeepers who cannot tell the difference between a thief and a shepherd. In the context of, of shepherding, right, uh, at the end of the night, they would take all of the sheep and they would all take, uh, all the different shepherds would take their sheep into one pen and they would roam free in that pen. That pen would have walls and, and just protection around. Some say that um, some uh, sheep pens have barbed wire or like some, something like barbed wires around to protect it, right? And so there's only one gate or one entrance. And you had a doorkeeper. And this doorkeeper would be able to tell who's the shepherd coming in and who was, who was not a shepherd coming in, right? And so there's a keeper to, to the sheep pen. So that's the first context. The second one is this. The second parable is this. The failed religious leaders are the thieves who bring death and destruction, while Jesus is the sheepfold gate that brings life. See, if you're trying to sneak in from any other way other than the front door, you're up to no good. There's no reason for you to try to sneak in. And in our passage, uh, it talks about the shepherd going into the sheep pen and calling his sheep and them recognizing the shepherd's voice. See, the shepherd, as he goes in, he wouldn't necessarily need to round up each sheep by, by hand. He would just call them out and they would recognize his voice and they would come. And so the religious leaders aren't that. They are not the gate. Instead, they are the ones who are the thieves and robbers trying to come in to steal, kill, and destroy. The third parable, and this is where Jesus, uh, he, he got a little bit more clear, but then he also adds a lot of more illustrations. And he says the failed religious leaders are the hired hands who abandon the sheep at the first sign of danger that when they spot the wolf coming, they're already gone. They're not even having second thoughts. They're out of there. But Jesus, Jesus as the good shepherd, he is the one who lays down his life for his sheep. There's a connection here 
um, to Ezekiel, where a prophecy was uh, spoken over uh, the religious leaders over Israel back in the days. And it's a pretty scolding, pretty harsh uh, prophecy, which I think prophecies were just like that in the days. So it's very descriptive. And so let me read this to us uh, for us. It reads, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. This was Ezekiel 34, verses 2 through 6. See, when, when human leaders fail, there's real-life consequences. I was on staff um, as a volunteer leader at my previous church. Um, I remember getting a text uh, early one Saturday morning, and we were being called into uh, a special staff meeting. There's no real context to that text uh, other than, hey, we're meeting at, I forget, 8 or 9 or something like that. And so I remember walking into the room and immediately sensed uh, that something serious was going on. See, our lead pastor, um, who many of us uh, on staff had known since college, uh, he joined us. He opened up a letter that he had written. He sat down and he read that letter, which explained that he was stepping down because of extramarital failures. After he finished reading that letter, he was excused. And we as staff were left in utter shock over what just happened team of personal friends and counselors um, were eventually formed to come alongside the failed pastor uh, and help him start a process of recovery. And while that happened for him, the staff were left figuring out how to grieve personally and as a staff team. The hurt, betrayal, spiritual abuse, and manipulation all surfaced. Yet, we still felt the responsibility of leading the church through this. That church eventually imploded and, and left hundreds of people traumatized uh, and wounded to this day. There are real and long-lasting effects that are a result of failed leadership. It's painful. It's dark. And while for many people... Um, you might feel alone when it all goes down. The reality is that it is all too common. Church leadership failure is, is a common trend that's happening. Okay. There's a part two to this. See, Jesus, he was abundantly clear about who he was in contrast to the failed religious leaders of his day. 
there are eight I am statements in the book of John, and two of them are in this passage. And these are bold claims that Jesus made about himself, and, and it caused a lot of controversy. But those claims are about his identity and his purpose. And so there's two in our passage. Uh, in John 10, 9, it says, I am the door. And then in John 10, 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. See, everything that the failed religious leaders were supposed to be and do for the people of God, Jesus fulfilled and exemplified as the good shepherd. The prophecy in Ezekiel 34 continues. Because not only was it a condemnation on the religious leaders of, of Israel back in the days, but it was also a promise of how God would come through. And I want us to take note of what God promised in Ezekiel 34, because all of it was fulfilled in Jesus as the good shepherd. And so we'll pick up uh, in verse 11, and it says this. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with, uh, is with them, so will I look after my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into our land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land, I will tend to them in a good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I'll bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd my flock with justice. See, Jesus is everything that God promised in Ezekiel 34 and more. We see Jesus embody God's promise in his relationship with the blind man. And so Jesus wasn't just talking the talk. He, he did it. In chapter 9, after the, the religious leaders kicked him out of the synagogue, it was who that sought him out? Jesus. And what did he end up doing for this blind man that was healed? He not only healed him of his physical ailment, of being blind since birth, he'd also healed him of his spiritual blindness. He gave him sight in two different arenas. See, the promise of giving an abundant life was fulfilled by Jesus to this man in this story of healing. Do you think this man walked away thinking, oh, I just got half of what I could have gotten? Or do you think he walked away in full gratitude, saying, yes, yes and amen? <laughs> there it is. Got it. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, friends. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. 
See, the fullness of life, the abundance, as certain translations say it, that Jesus promises, that he promises us, is also, so it's not just in the sense of us attaining, um, you know, our dreams and, and attaining wealth and, and attaining relationships or joy. That's there. That's part of it. But part of it in, in the context of our passage today is that we do not have to be defined by our trauma or hurt. And friends, that's all of us. I, I don't know if any one of us can say that we are not hurt or traumatized in a certain way. We can experience redemption. We can experience healing, however long that process might be. See, God's faithfulness never ceases on this side of heaven. The goodness of God is abundantly present, even in the midst of human failure. See, Jesus doesn't just talk about being the good shepherd. He embodies it. My story didn't end um, at that point of, of that failed pastor. Um, it didn't end when that church imploded. That was about, uh, gosh, should have done the math before this. Um, 13 years since I think that meeting happened, and then seven or eight years since the church imploded or something like that. Um, Yet part of my abundance of life as I reflected uh, on, on where I'm at right now, what I'm getting to do in this very moment, the pastor at this church. Then I grew up in the church. I, I, I didn't, as a kid, I wasn't like, hey, I'm going to be a pastor one day. No, I, I really, I didn't know what I wanted to do anyway, so could have been a pastor, maybe. But, but here I am as a pastor at this church. And I am dang proud of it. We have come through a pandemic. We have come through a lead pastor transition. And, and we are healthy and we're growing. And, and that, that says a lot. Not about me, but about our church and the people that are here. See, God was present with me, healing my wounds, giving new purpose, and deepening my identity in Christ long before the failure of that pastor happened. Jesus' faithfulness had never ceased after that day either. And that's his promise to us. And so what does it mean? What does it mean that we encounter Jesus as the good shepherd in the midst of failed human relationships? Where I'm at today, um, what that would look like is that in my role right now, I'm not here with an agenda to right the wrong of that pastor. I'm not going to do church in this way because of what I experienced in my previous church. I'm just swinging left and right on a pendulum, reacting to what, what hurt has happened. That's not actually healthy. <laughs> You're just reacting. But I'm in a place of being present. And I'm in a place, what I hope, of growing maturity a little work in that area. Um, but that's the place that I lead and pastor out of. And what's amazing is that um, 
you guys as a community with me are helping me to do what I feel like God's called me to do. Does that make sense? So in my role here, it's not that I have it all figured out and I'm good, because I don't. Right? My three kids, whew, they get me. <laughs> but I get to grow in increasing health and wholeness. And I get to lead and pastor out of a growing maturity. One of our values here is, is the priesthood of all believers. And, and I'm going to kind of wrap up with this. We believe in shared voice and we believe in shared leadership. I'm just one of the pastors here. And there's a lot of pastors. <laughs> For a church our size, um, I'm pretty surprised at, at the amount of staff we have. Given none of us are full-time, but we make it work. But that's the thing. We value each of your voices, and we absolutely believe that each of you have the Holy Spirit in you and that you can speak out God's truth and what's needed for the church, not just our church, but God's kingdom at large. And that's the, that's the, the church that we want to continue to grow into. Are we perfect? Nah. Do we have work to do? Yes. But are we seeing God's blessings? Absolutely. Are we seeing his faithfulness? Yes. And am I grateful for each of you that are here physically, as well as online, as well as those that are sick with kids at home or whatever it might be? Absolutely. And so it's a work of us doing it together, being both in surrender and submission to Jesus as a good shepherd and in surrender and submission to one another as shepherds of our church together. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize um, you had something that uh, there was was a cost. Um, You didn't address the Pharisees just because you're angry. You addressed them because your people were getting destroyed. That barriers were being built up and your people were being denied a place in your family and in your kingdom. That cruelty was on display when it should have been healing and hope and renewal and redemption. And so, Jesus, you acted. You followed through. You pursued. You fulfilled all the words that you spoke out. And here we are today, folded into your family, being able to give witness and story to your faithfulness over our lives. And at the same time, being able to dream and and work and give to not only our church, but your kingdom as active participants. Not ones who are perfect, but ones who say, Jesus, we need you. God, you you are the answer. So show us, continue to teach us. Humble us when we need to be humbled. But Lord, use us. And so I pray as a blessing over us today. Um, I feel like, God, that you are working, that you've been at work. Um, this entire service. And so would you bring up areas, God, where we need to continue to bring it before you? Maybe there's a conversation that we need to have. Maybe there's something we need to get off our chest and share. God, would you give us courage to do that? Would you bring us to the right person to share that with? And would you help each of us shoulder the weight, shoulder the burden, shoulder whatever it is that each of us carry, that we would walk closer and closer to you, Jesus? 
for you are good. You are the good shepherd.